Okay. <clears throat> well, how was your uh, hey, how was your holiday? My holiday. Oh, oh, it was wonderful. It was a big celebration here. It's always a did celebration the, here for that. Did you boys throw a little uh, little event for the girls of the house? No, no, no. It was nothing like that. It was more of just you have to do everything because it's our day. <laughs> hey, Brando. Hey, Jay. happy. Happy International Women's Day week. <laughs> well, thanks. Same to you. I mean, if you were if you were a woman, I'd be I'd be celebrating with you more. But instead, we can just celebrate the women in our lives because I, I do have a lot of great women in my life. It's nice to put attention to the wonderful contributions that women have made to our sport and to everything in the world, but especially to our sport because that's what we care about. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of great women over the years that have done a lot of great things. A lot of them were featured in last year's Pandemic Madness 2020 Bracket Challenge that... Uh, is fastly approaching for 2021. Yes, yeah, so we had a lot of a lot of great female names in last year's pandemic madness challenge that we've talked about over the years and I've had a number of females in and out of the dive shop over the years that have been remarkable divers going on to do some big big dives and some great scuba instructors that I currently still work and teach with today. So there's a lot of a lot of congratulations to the ladies of scuba over the years. So I'm, I'm glad uh, they got their day on Monday. Yeah, thank you for all you've done, ladies, and for what you and continue. The, and do. there will be, yeah, and there will be another Women's Dive Day in, in July. That's that's always celebrated too. But this is the International Women's Day. Right. It's not Week just of. diving. It's not just diving. It's everything. And it's not just girls in skimpy bikinis and. Vin- vintage wetsuits with the zipper pulled down to their their belly button and mask on their forehead holding on to the 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 rails of a a, a boat ladder but yes we've come a long way since the girl just being the the beauty queen in the magazine now some of the best divers in the world are are ladies and we're going to talk about the original scuba lady i think The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with your old pal, Jamesy, and... Woman-loving Brando. Woman-loving Brando. Is that considered sexist? Is that a sexist remark? I don't think it's sexist, and it's our show, so we get to determine whether it is or not. Ah, and there's where you're wrong. (laughs) There's where you're completely off the tracks. You've got it wrong. You don't determine what what you say anymore. So we'll let the people decide. Yeah, was that sexist, people? Not when we're getting ready to talk about a rough and tough scuba teaching, scuba diving, award holding, trailblazing woman of scuba like we are today. And we're talking about the the, the great Dottie Frazier, everybody. The original female scuba instructor. We thought that would be a great little, great little chat in celebration of International Women's Day this week. 
set to turn 99 years old this year, old Dottie Frazier is. Still out there kicking. I read a story that uh, years ago her father died just before his 100th birthday. And he told her on his on his deathbed, I'm not going to make it. It's all up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here she is, 90, 99, about to be 99. Born on July 16th, 1922. Dottie Frazier was one of those early gals breaking big barriers in the world back in the, in the 50s. Really setting a, a, a new trail where ladies just weren't, weren't there for the most part. But she grew up on the water. Her, and, uh, you know, her dad always wanted a son and got another daughter and basically raised him like a little tomboy son growing up. And, you know, it, it was, she was not even 10 years old, swimming, free diving, abalone hunting, amazing little life growing up on the water very young. Yeah, I mean, just goes to show you. If you get exposed to that stuff as a child, especially, you know, you don't know anything different. And you, if you enjoy it, you'll excel at it. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, whatever. Yeah, right. You know, for her, she got her start really in the 19, late 1920s. I mean, as crazy as that to, like, think back about, right? I mean, well, she was when born she was seven in, or eight. Yeah, she was born in 22. So by the by the late 1920s into the 1930s, she's already got experience with open ocean swimming, boating and sailing. Got into you know skin diving and spear fishing and surfing. You know, uh, was a springboard diver. You know, just a, a lover of the water from those early days. So when she got into scuba in the 1950s, right, she's already you know, been a water person her whole life, really. Pretty amazing in the day, right? I mean, going down, bringing up lobster as big as she was at, you know, barely five feet tall, spearing fish, like back in the day out there in California, it wasn't uncommon to spear a 400-pound fish. And, and her tiny stature of barely weighing 100 pounds, her very first dive when she was just a little girl hanging out with her dad over on uh, Catalina Island was because they were living on a boat and her dad dropped a coffee pot that he was cleaning, dropped it off the side of the boat. But he had a, like a bad cold that day mm-hmm. and couldn't, couldn't go get it. So he asked her if, if she wanted to dive down and grab the, grab the coffee pot. She did it. It was in about 15 feet of water. No, no mask or anything, just you know, breath hold, dive down. And she was already a diver, right? so you know diving off of the side of the boat wasn't a big deal for her. And she was already a good swimmer, and she just had to you know uh, swim down the anchor line and go get it. So she's got a, she's got a pretty good she's got a pretty good story in her book Trailblazer: The Extraordinary Life of Diving Pioneer Dottie Frazier. Yeah, she's got a pretty good uh, start, or at least background for for being in the water industry or the diving industry. She lives there on the water. Her father works on the water, teaches her everything he knows, exposes her at a very young age, and uh, she's super comfortable, and she loves it. So, yeah, there's the recipe right there. You just got to get over, uh, you know, societal stereotypes, and you make a name for yourself. Yeah, yeah, he, re- he really raised her as a, you can do anything you uh, set your mind to. Don't let being a girl get in the way. Yeah, just giving her that open-mindedness to say, hey, I can do anything I want. world's my oyster. Yeah, but for this story, I wouldn't go so far as to say the world's your oyster. For Dottie, for Dottie I would say more the world is your abalone. Could be, could be. I could be, <laughs> you know, world is your grouper. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she says in her, in her book when she describes her first dive that dad convinced me that I would go down and recover his coffee pot. When I was in the water, he handed me a small anchor with a line attached to it. He told me that when he let go of the line, that it would pull me down to the bottom and land right alongside the pot. And all I had to do was grab it and head up to the surface. I took a big breath, and the anchor took me right to where Dad said it would. Even with the blurred vision, I could see the pot. I grabbed it, 
and headed back up. It wasn't too long after that dive that I was making lots of dives at that depth, picking up shells and salvaging things that had fallen off other boats. I mentioned to dad one day that I wished I could see better when I was on the bottom. And the next week, her dad started, you know, cutting up some old fire hose and glass plate and inner tubes and built her a scuba mask. So dads do. Problem solvers. So anyway, yeah, that's uh, that right there. I mean, you could tell that sparked her passion, just being able to overcome that challenge of going underwater. Yeah, like you remember like early on when we talked about old Jacques Cousteau and like his early days and just how entering that new world was. I think even today, that's one of the joys of being in the scuba business and being in the instructional end of scuba is when you see that new passion click for somebody, whether it's because of all the cool new life you're seeing or the new world you're in or the history you're, you're about to see, that's what keeps you driving is, is that passion, I would say. Or at least it should be what keeps you driving is the passion. Yeah. You're getting into the reasons people pursue scuba diving, you know, for that matter, any other like activity. But yeah, a lot of folks do it for inner reasons, overcoming fears and uh, seeking a peace, that kind of thing. Yeah, Dottie says that the first time that I wore my mask was like a miracle. I could see everything underwater as clear as if I were on the surface. I could see all the sizes of fish that I knew so well with all of their vivid, beautiful colors. I could see the abalones attached to the rocks and the lobsters hidden in the rocky crevices, along with the ugly, scary-looking moray eels. There were starfish and sea cucumbers on every rock with scallops and spiny sea urchins everywhere eelgrass, sea fans, and kelp trees rising from the ocean bottom to spread out on the surface like a giant carpet, all making up the most unbelievable underwater forest and gardens that anyone could imagine. Could you imagine being like one of the first ones in a lot of these diving places? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be incredible. Like the just just the amount of fishing that's taken place over the years and the amount of just physical attendance by so many people now over the, over the decades. decades. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seven decades of, of activity of commercial activity. I mean, when you look back at the, the old skin diver magazines, when they were just shooting and spearing every damn thing that, that came by back in the day, it, it seems like there wasn't a fish under five feet long back in those days, you know? <laughs> well, they're only going to show you the winners. They're not going to show you all the, the fish they, they killed and threw back. <laughs> so, yeah, she uh, so basically entering that new world, you know, she just fell in love, she said, and started just falling or uh, she started spending so much time underwater. Uh, she was bringing food up basically every day for them to plan their meals from. And she says, it wasn't long before I could hunt abalone, prying them off a rock and bringing two or three up on every dive that she did. And the owners of a fancy yacht nearby stopped by on a speedboat where she was diving one day and asked uh, if they could buy some of the abalone from her. She said that I took his order and delivered them within 30 minutes. I even got paid extra for taking them out of the shell. So before I knew it, I had more orders than I could fool. Became a little abalone hunter as a teenager. Definitely an acquired skill set, you know, especially back in that day. Yeah, because this is all breath hold days. Right. And, you know, you got to remember, we just heard the story of how her dad made the mask. It wasn't like you could go and buy Finn's mask and snorkel at a local store, whether it be a department store or a specialized diving store, which were few and far between back then. It wasn't until the 50s when she was in her 30s when that stuff was happening. So it wasn't liquid-injected silicon? No, it wasn't. And it definitely wasn't uh, ballistic uh, cordura it, it or did, whatever. It didn't, are you saying it didn't have a slap strap on it to protect her hair so her hair didn't get pulled? She did not have her dry snorkel. Yeah, she didn't have a slap strap. Do you think her mask leaked a little bit? Probably. Was she? I, I don't. I don't think she complained about it, though. No, no. <laughs> Who is she going to complain to? She's doing this by herself. It's not like, you know, she had her father, but I, you know, her father wasn't a diver. You know, I'm, I'm sure he would jump in at breath hold kind of thing, but he wasn't 
quote unquote a diver. So yeah, it really it really yeah. didn't exist yet. I mean, he right. was a waterman, right? But he wasn't a the diver didn't exist yet. Right. And she, I mean, she was venturing into that. She was one of those people that had that passion in the beginning. You know, a lot like Jacques wanted to share that underwater world. That was his thing. That was his drive. He wanted to share and show the videos, show the movies and the films and the, the pictures. He wanted to bring that underwater world to everybody's, you know, quote unquote, living room kind of thing. And the same thing goes for, for Dottie because... Again, she's born in 1922, so she's doing this side by side with Jacques. Of course, she's she's not inventing uh, the aqualung. She's not inventing the scuba regulator, but she is buying that ticket to take that adventure, going underwater, exploring the undersea world. So right, yeah, because in in the early days for Jacques too, it was all skin diving, breath hold diving. You couldn't walk into, you know, the department store at this at this time and pick up a a suit and a mask and fins. Exactly. Yeah, so these people were having to make up things along the way. They were discovering challenges that they had to overcome. It's a lot like the cave diving era when you had Sheck and crew. There's a lot more than just Sheck doing this. You got to remember that. Sheck Sheck joined. He got on a train that was already going. There were already people jumping into the caves, but he just took it to a new level and started looking at it in a different way. So they were needing to make equipment that better equipped them to dive the caves. Yeah, Sheck wasn't a pioneer of cave diving in that he was the first one in Florida to go cave diving. He was a pioneer in a way that it he transformed it to be smarter, to be better, to be uh, something that could be passed down in a good, clean lineage. Right, and this is kind of a great example of standing on the shoulders of giants, which you know I used to use a lot when I would teach. Instead of relearning, reinventing the wheel, you stand on the shoulders of giants. You take what these early explorers and pioneers did, and you and you try to make it better. You try to add your two cents into it, and that's whereas Dottie is that base layer. You know, she's she's that bottom bottom layer of people just getting into diving. Yeah, and uh, like along and right alongside of this, you know, she ended up. Having having you know a family life as well was married married and divorced a couple times had a had a few kids and built basically a a diving family there in southern california kids were all spear fishing and swimming and skin diving she was teaching swimming teaching skin diving at the ymca raising kids Running her own dive shop, the Penguin. Run, I don't know if you remember running her own, running a dive shop, designing wetsuits, building wetsuits. Why? Why do you think she called her dive shop the Penguin? She was a Batman fan. <laughs> and she call it the Riddler. She was. Got, she, was she was going to call it Cat, the Catwoman, but, <laughs> but also water. she had a love. With, cats hate water, yeah. and she also had a love for scuba, so she went with the, the penguin. penguin. Yeah. No, originally she had a line of wetsuits that she was making called Penguin Wetsuits. Ah, well, that makes sense. And then later, yeah. I think that's. I think I'm assuming that she just needed more space to make these wetsuits, and that yeah. grew into just well. Might as well have my own my, shop as right, well. Right. You might as well be the point of contact for people getting interested in diving or diving in that area. Again, back in that day, few and far between. Yeah, so, yeah. And she, So she started making suits for the, the U.S. Navy, their uh, underwater demolition team, as well as she was making her own penguin suits, and she was making suits for U.S. divers and healthways. And her shop, she was the first woman dive shop owner. Right. With the penguin dive shop. Yeah, like so. If we like look back at her like firsts and her achievements over the years, you know, it was the 1930s when she's water skiing, competitive swimming, springboard diver, water polo, body surfing, snow skiing. Right, definitely like the the California girl out there. But by the by the 40s, she's teaching skin diving classes at the Y. She's an accomplished underwater hunter and already into motorcycles. Wartime hits. She graduates as a aircraft mechanic during the old Rosie the Riveter days. 
and then she's working as a cook, a deckhand, a helmsman on uh, commercial fishing boats in the 40s. Um, well, in the 50s, she became a charter member of the Long Beach Neptunes, second oldest uh, dive club. What's the oldest, Boston? Sea Rover? No, the uh, the oldest was the, wasn't it the San Diego Bottom Scratchers, I think. Oh, was those the, goddamn was Bottom that, Scratchers. I think that was the original. See, that's not a very good name, really. It's like the Mississippi Mud Crawlers. Yeah, although, I guess in Mississippi, it really is mud crawling. But. There was the, uh, the Sacramento Snorkel Keepers. Remember <laughs> those guys? <laughs> the Boston Bicycle Kickers. Uh <laughs> Oh, that, that was a, that was a big that was a big club for a while. <laughs> the San Diego Strokes. <laughs> you don't know those guys, do you? <laughs> Remember that club, the San Francisco Spare Airs. <laughs> I think you're confusing them with the San Francisco Split Finners. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. It was the. Uh, it was the Sarasota Spare Airs, <laughs> totally different yeah. area. Yeah, San Francisco hated the there was, there was, uh, Yeah, there was some big clubs in Florida at the time, yeah. too. Like the, remember that club, the Pompano Purge Masks? Pompano Purge Masks. Just called them the Purgers. Don't confuse them with the Well, that's because you, you guys, had, <laughs> you guys had some name. beef. You had some beef with them. That's why you call them the Purgers. Purgers yes. Constantly purging their mask. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, she became a instructor for the Red Cross Water Safety, which kind of got her into that instructional role. And in 1955, she enrolled in an LA County Underwater Instructor Certification Course Number Four, the fourth course that they offered. At the time, it says considered to be too physically demanding for a female to participate. She ended up taking top honors in the class. Bravo. Bravo. I love hearing that stuff. To me, that's, that's how yeah, you she's do got it. A, so yeah. she's got a great story in this book about, about becoming a scuba instructor. She had a friend by the name of Big Jim Christensen that signed her up for a scuba course to become an underwater instructor. Not a scuba diver. An instructor. He, yeah. He's signing her up for the instructor course because he he's taken the instructor course. Yeah, he's been doing a bunch of skin diving with her for years. He he knows her reputation, and uh, L.A. County starts offering this this uh, UICC, and he's like, "Let's take it." And she's like, "I don't even know how to scuba dive." He's like, yeah, "You're going to be a better diver than ninety percent of these guys in this class. Mm-hmm. Just come on down." So she uh, she she mailed in her check. Signed up for the class, and um, on the day the class was about to start, she got a letter in the mail saying that she was not allowed in. Son of a bitch. Got rejected. She got her rejection letter in the mail. Her buddy Jim comes to pick her up, and she's like, they said no. And he goes, did did they return your check to you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> She's like, That's no, the check's not in there. <laughs> so he's like, well, get in the car. We're going to class. Good on Big Jim. Yeah, no kidding. So she says here that arriving at the pool where the class was held, we were met by Al Tillman, the instructor, who immediately shook hands with Jim, telling him what a pleasure it was to have such a well-known diver join the class. Al then addressed Dottie saying, oh, you must be Dottie Frazier. Didn't you receive my letter? And Jim spoke up and said, yeah, she did, but her check was not returned. Do you have her check? And to this question, the answer was no, it's at the office. So Jim says, I guess she's a paid member of the class then. Let's go sit down, Dottie. (laughs) So she talks about in their house, she basically, you know, bluffed her way through scuba. Like she's learning to scuba dive, like learn you know, the scuba equipment, learn how to assemble the equipment, learn how right, to right. get on fitted the fly there. Yeah. on the fly while she's learning, learning to, to teach. teach scuba, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I think but what, there was a huge emphasis on watermanship in those days. And exactly, she definitely which is where had, she excelled. Yeah, yeah, she just, you know, 
basically born in the water for all intents and purposes and, and lived in the water. So she held a huge advantage there, and I think that uh, that made up for a lot of those silly shortcomings that you can learn. Yeah, Jim, you know, Jim helped her out through class, showed her some tricks. Mm-hmm. It was definitely on her side, you know, especially after the whole fiasco of right. her getting kicked out of the class. You know, he's like, oh, we're going to do this. You know, so he helped her along the way, helped her do it in a way that made it look like she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. So definitely a good friend there. And she says that at graduation, Jim and I received the two highest grades, me for water work and Jim for the written. And we were also given seats on the board of directors for the underwater unit and staffed the next few classes. So the the guy that was what people would be like wanting to hang him on a noose before not letting her in actually became an advocate for her. It sounds yeah, like it, because he was running the show and if he put her up on that pedestal of highest honors in the class, we're putting you on the board, he must have been impressed. Yeah. Because, I mean, look at me. She's got, what, 30? She's going on 30 years of experience in watermanship. Right. You know, a solid 20 plus. You know, if it's, this is mid-50s and she started in, you know, she was born in 22. Yeah, so again, yeah, she she started late 20s. So Yeah, I'm just 30 trying years to of, say she, she won this guy over who went from yes. you can't be in the class to hey, we want you on our board, you have top honors in the class, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, she turned that whole viewpoint around. Now, we, you know, in his defense, we don't know why he was saying you can't be in the class. Maybe he's had experience, you know, they come in, but, you know, they're not doing well or whatever. Who knows what what his reasoning was. Well, yeah, you but know what, you, that's day. a good point. It's just a yeah, you don't. Uh... Yeah, you don't hear about that. That's right. a good point. So, because they did say that this class is too physically demanding for women, for most women. So yeah. it could be that they've already had a bunch, and and they go. So he's probably thinking, here's another gal. Right. Don't don't even let her in. Like she's gonna fail out like everybody else. She's gonna fail out like everybody else. Don't even let her in. But then she comes in and kicks ass. Right. That's how it's done. So as a scuba instructor, she went by the name D. Fraser. Not Dottie Frazier. I was wondering, I was actually wondering that, like, when she signed up, did she put Dottie Frazier? She must have, because, you know, he knew that it, she was a woman. And right. And I was wondering what she did from there on out to overcome that stigma of being a girl in a, in a man's field. Yeah, so she started putting up flyers for scuba classes at a couple local shops that let her. First come, first serve, your instructor, D. Frazier. But nobody was really signing up for scuba, just because it was so new back in the day. And she was spending most of her time still diving herself, doing a lot of swimming. Uh, She was teaching at the YMCA still. She was, at this time, busy making wetsuits and dry suits. But she says that eventually she was told that she had a class with a group of doctors, eight private students, eight private doctors, held at a private pool at the residence of one of them. Now, get this. They would like the class to begin on the next weekend, so four days away. The class was going to meet three days a week and on Saturdays and Sundays, and the class at that time was running for a month. Okay. That's like it's 12. 20, 20 days a class, right? No, three, is it three, three days three a days, week? Oh, three days a week and 12. Saturday and Sunday. Oh, and, so that's... Three days a week on top of Saturday and Sunday? Why don't they just yeah. say five days a week? Well, I'm sure it was three class days a week. Right. And, and then, then diving so- on Saturday and Sunday. Okay, so yeah, five. I mean, that's five days, but yeah. Anyway. Now she says, she says it was Saturday morning and my first scuba class would meet in the afternoon. I spent the morning giving a talk to a group of father and sons, dressing for the occasion in a very feminine cotton dress, high heels and silk stockings. There was no time after the talk to change into something more casual for the scuba class, she says. Hmm. After I rang the doorbell at the address that I was given, the door was opened by a very nice-looking man who politely asked, Well, what can I do for you, young lady? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Donnie says, I answered, I'm here to teach scoop class. <laughs> and he's, the guy's like, oh, no, I'm sure there must be a big mistake. 
I'm sure the others in the class would agree that we wouldn't take lessons from a woman. She says, I asked if I could speak to the others, and he agreed, so I followed him to the pool. I introduced myself, showing my teaching credentials, and asked for a chance to talk to them before they dismissed me. So she explained that the course would be divided into two sections, the first section being skin diving and the second section being scuba diving. As part of the first section, tests would be given on swimming ability and the class would learn about skin diving equipment in the marine environment. And she basically started talking to them and telling them all the stuff that they were going to learn, all about the marine life in the area, legal restrictions on uh, fishing, uh, what you were going to see, dangerous marine life, uh, first aid for everything, and basically just totally overwhelmed and impressed this group of doctors. And she said, hey, listen, I want, uh, I'd like the opportunity to at least start doing this class. Let me do the first half of it. I'm highly experienced with my 30 years of, of skin diving in this area. And if you don't think I'm worthwhile, I'll find you another instructor. And uh, they all talked about it and said, give her a okay, chance, man. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's give her a chance. She says that one month later, all members of the class passed and no one failed my very difficult written test. I was proud of my first class and of my new career as the first woman to become a scuba instructor in the world. And uh, from there on, she, you know, here she is now in what her in her 30s and she becomes a coordinator and and an instructor with uh, la county she becomes a member of the board of directors for that la county underwater unit trains to become a hard hat diver and briefly works in the commercial world but uh, the, the commercial gear was just too big and cumbersome on her tiny yeah, little, yeah, little tiny frame yeah, yeah. The the big course director, Al Tillman, for her instructor course, later on brings her in as, a, as an actor in some films that he's doing, like Introduction to Skin Diving movie that he made and Beyond the Reef in the 1960s. In 1993, the Academy of Marine Sciences and Underwater Research chose Dottie for the who's who in scuba diving. And then started receiving a bunch of awards, you know, in through the 2000s, where she was inducted into the Woman Divers Hall of Fame in 2000, became uh, honored as the the mother of the sport in 2000, uh, became a honored lifetime member of the Long Beach Neptunes, of which she's the only surviving member of that original club. In 2014, she was honored with... California Scuba Service Award for her contributions to the California sport diving community. And then uh, just recently, 2019, Historical Diving Society Diving Pioneer Award was given to her. Only the fourth woman to be honored. Wow. Following Eugenie Clark, Sylvia Earle, and Lot Haas. And they say that Dottie is the only female diver honored by inclusion in the Museum of Skin Diving History. And that's on top of all the other stuff that she was doing, you know, uh, awards that she received in her springboard competitions and Mm -hmm. other hunting stuff. And Gal did it all. Yeah, pretty cool. Like when you look at her just life accomplishments as well, you know, she had the the dive, or she had the shop the penguin right she was the wetsuit maker but you know she was also a waitress and a bartender and a secretary she was a bookkeeper became a model and actress like we just mentioned but she was also a gardener and she was a lifeguard and she was a gun expert and hunter on land as well as you know spearfishing in the water she was a scuba regulator repair person a retail sales and dive shops. She was a chauffeur and a taxi driver. She was a water skiing, snow skiing, surfing, did tennis, racquetball, volleyball. She was a champion billiards player, high diver. She played a ton of musical instruments, did commercial fishing, boating, cooking, sewing, horseback riding. I mean, the gal's got like 20... 20 lifetimes that she lived, you know? So apparently she bought the penguin dive shop from a guy. 
Oh, it was already called the Penguin. So she named the suit after the dive shop. Kinda, yeah. Oh, okay. Like. So that that dive shop that she walked into and wanted to teach a teach a class was the Penguin. Oh, okay. okay. And then she later she later bought the shop from the guy. Okay, I get it. So in an interview with Eric Hanauer, she says that the Penguin was a complete retail dive shop owned by Lyle Anderson, who also had a beautiful pool out in Park Estates. He had a 40-foot cabin cruiser, which I used for all of her Catalina dives, she said. We would stay over in his home in Avalon, dive Saturday and Sunday. It was a good setup, at, uh, and she eventually bought that shop from Anderson, which is where she made custom wetsuits and set up a network of 48 dealers throughout the United States. That's when she was making making the suits for the UDT team yeah. in Honolulu and San Francisco. She said, I tailored every suit myself, gave a 100% guarantee as long as I took the measurements. She says that her son, Daryl, also an LA County scuba instructor, managed the shop when I was out playing. She said, I worked seven days a week teaching every night or doing ocean dives for about 18 years. Her suits originally were all hand-glued no stitching in them. And she said that she got out of the business when uh, they started sewing everything, that just the machines just got to be too expensive for. But she said, I never had a zipper come out or had a suit come apart ever. Yeah, if you glue it right. I'm telling you, if you glue a, you glue a seam right on a, on a torn wetsuit, if you know what you're doing, that seam, that, yeah, that seam's stronger than the, the rest of the suit. Agreed. So there's another story in here by Barbara Allen, who was the second woman scuba instructor out of the L.A. County's UICC number six in 1957. And when was Dottie the first one? 55? 55, yeah. yeah. So they dove together for years. And she says one of the, or she recalls one of the most memorable trips was heading to the Isthmus via Avalon one weekend over there on Catalina. She said, suddenly her boat stopped dead and just outside the mooring buoys. The Harbor Patrol comes right out. The Harbor Patrol came right out to offer a tow. But Dottie said, heck no. If I can't fix it, I don't belong out here. And she grabbed her toolbox, find and fixed the problem, and we were off again. Barbara said one fun night dive at the Isthmus was with Ron Church and Bob Bradley, co-pilots of Westinghouse Deep Star Submersibles. She says we, well, mostly Dottie, outdove the guys for bugs. It's not a contest, Dottie. She's so competitive. <laughs> it does, yeah, you don't have to be so competitive, Dottie. But yeah, there's a, so this book trailblazer the extraordinary life of diving pioneer Dottie frazier it's like a 20 dollar full color you know paperback book but it, it's it's a fun little book over 100 pages lots of great stories lots of great stories written by her uh lots of great stories written by other people about her a uh, good history of her life um Talking about, you know, her early life, you know, her life as a mom, her life as a wife, uh, her life down living in Mexico, riding Harley Davidson's skin diving days, her early school days, just all the cool stuff that she's done. Pretty remarkable woman. I second that. Yeah. uh, She's a remarkable human. Good point, Brando. Yeah, I'd like to bring that back into the mainstream world that, hey, we're all humans. We're all people. So, but bravo to Dottie. So she's got a story in her book. It's titled Nitrogen Narcosis. And remember, it wasn't uncommon to just do deep air back in these days because it was really all anyone had <laughs> access to, right? Was it, wasn't that it wasn't uncommon. It was, it was just the practice. I mean, it wasn't like people said, no, we can try helium. The learning curve of dealing with narcosis was one that essentially was learned by just guts 
and having the cojones to to power through the you know the the, the feeling and the psychological pressure. Yeah, right? well, keeping your your wits about you. It's just you know, it's it's like having a cocktail or or three. And and you've seen people that do this. <laughs> you know, they've uh, they have one or two, and they're completely obliterated. They don't focus their mind at all. They just let it go, and you're like, "Hey, man, you, you've only had a couple of beers or whatever. You, you cool your jets." You're, <laughs> Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> You know, versus people who still focus their mind, they realize that there's a neurological effect of alcohol in this case that I'm talking about, and they uh, overcome it by purely just focusing their mind. And that's the same thing with the narcosis. Yeah, you can succumb to it and just go, you know, completely lack the discipline, mental discipline to focus, or you can realize what's going on and focus your brain on the activity and, and trying to stay alert and oriented kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. that you just built up the tolerance. We we say building up the tolerance. I think it's more of you get used to the effect and you overcome it by mental discipline and focus on what you're doing. I mean, that's how I would dive deeper on air back in the day. You know, you go down. I actually enjoyed the narcosis a lot. I was a narcosis junkie. You were a deep freak. I wasn't a deep freak so much as I just liked the narcosis. And I always thought it had a lot to do with your mental status before you went into the water. Like if you are well, very yeah. confident and you're you're looking forward to the dive and everything goes cool and you get down there, it like amplifies that. You know, you're overly confident down deep. You know what I mean? That's what my friends said about marijuana when they wanted me to watch <laughs> the Pink Floyd's The Wall back yeah. in back when I was 19 years old. Just marijuana? I, was, I, I would expect some LSD or some have you? Have you you're watching something. the. You've watched the wall, but have you ever watched the wall? Stoned, <laughs> stoned to the bejesus. I think the wall on acid is a little more apropos. Well, so she describes in this story about how she had just finished up a scuba class of some young, hard to teach men. So she kind of j- jokes around there a little bit. And she finally finally gets them through everything that they need to graduate, and she gives them cards. And uh, then a longtime buddy of hers invited her out to Catalina on his cabin cruiser for the weekend. And so they took off and went over to her favorite cove and went out and did some diving. The beautiful crystal clear waters over there. And she says, uh, we jumped in with just our mast fins and snorkel, making a leisurely swim around the area to enjoy the beauty of the submarine gardens that Catalina is so famous for. We hunted limits of lobster and abalone. Then we went back on board to work on our tan and snooze, she says. Interesting. I don't know. This is Southern California and the, you know, Catalina Island just... I think that Beautiful. I mean I think that story's a little too clean for Southern California living on a well, fucking forty foot boat off the coast of she Catalina. Doesn't, Give she me a doesn't break. say whether or not she had tan lines. <laughs> I was gonna or say, not. yeah, this seems more like skinny dipping and I'm just thinking it's a little clean. It's like my Bible study group went out to go snorkeling but i don't think that was happening in southern cal back then especially even well now come on would you believe it if someone said yeah we just went out yeah he just invited me out on his 40 foot cabin cruiser to go quote unquote snorkeling (laughs) (laughs) that's not a snorkel jim (laughs) after a light lunch we decided to get our scuba gear on and head to ship rock just out of the isthmus where the water is much deeper and see what we could find out there We decided we only had enough time to use one tank before we had to head up the mainland, before the wind came up. So we anchored, suited up, and headed down. We checked out some nice caves and crevices for big bull lobsters. I had stopped about halfway to the bottom to look under some enticing rock ledges. When I finally backed out, my buddy was nowhere in sight. She says, I decided to swim a circle to look for the telltale bubbles coming up from his regulator, which would indicate where he was. I was in the last of the circle pattern when I finally found his bubbles. Followed them down to the bottom. I had, I had expected him to wait until I had exited the ledge. Instead, he had descended about 40 feet deeper. 
When I found him, he was standing on the bottom with his mouthpiece hanging by his side. I swam up in front of him, grabbed the mouthpiece, and tried to get him to put it back in his mouth. He was fighting to keep me away. I managed to get him uh, to take a couple of breaths, but he took the regulator out of his mouth again. (laughs) How deep was this again? Well, they were deep okay. and then right, looking for the, the big lobster. And then when she got out, he was 40, 40 feet, feet below so, that. She, so, so we don't know how right. deep, really. We don't know how deep yet, right. exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember, so we talked about Jacques Cousteau and his story earlier on about his first experience with La Verse des Grands Profondeurs. Or good old nitrogen narcosis. And remember, he talked about like, oh, I'm just going to pull my mouthpiece out and breathe like the fishies breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, he was like, he was all high as a kite on narcosis. Remember? She says, when I tried the second time, he struck me in the face, knocking my mask off. If he had hit me that hard on the surface, I'm sure he would have knocked me out. But underwater, the blow was just an inconvenience. I found my mask, put it on and cleared the water out. She says, it suddenly occurred to me that my buddy was suffering from an attack of nitrogen narcosis, a diving disease that I had first heard about in my instructor's course. I had never talked to anyone who had experienced it or been witness to an attack. It occurs at depths usually greater than 60 to 80 feet, and symptoms vary with different people. I had been too occupied to see how deep we were. My only concern was how I was going to get the mouthpiece back into his mouth and start him towards the surface, forcing him to exhale slowly as we ascended. If he held his breath, he would surely get an air embolism, which could prove fatal without immediate medical attention and a decompression chamber close by. Because I don't think there was anything like that out on Catalina. Not back then. No, it was just a yeah, yeah. Now now they have the uh, Catalina Chamber that they do fundraising for every year. They used to anyway. She says I got around him. She says I got around in back of him, grabbed his mouthpiece and held it over his mouth with one hand while releasing his weight belt with the other hand and letting it drop. This gave us positive buoyancy and we started to rise slowly. I reached around his tank and has crossed his chest pulling inward as hard as I could to force him to exhale. By this time, he was keeping his mouthpiece in and breathing through it. He started relaxing after we ascended about 30 feet off the bottom. By the time we reached 30 feet from the surface, he gave me the okay sign, stopped struggling, and was exhaling on his own the rest of the way up. She says we got back on board the boat, stowed our gear, and I then asked him if he remembered anything that had just occurred. He said that when he left me, he was chasing a big sheephead fish that was headed straight for the bottom. He was totally amazed at the different fish of all sizes that were all around him and so friendly. He decided then that he did not need that thing in his mouth and that he could just breathe like the fish were doing. And it was in that minute that old Dottie showed up. If I had not gotten uh, the air to him, who knows how this story would have ended. So there's a little lesson for you, you you lovers of nitrogen narcosis like Brandon back in the olden days. (laughs) I want to start a club called Friends of Nitrogen Narcosis. Actually, it should be called Friends in Need of Nitrogen Narcosis. We're going to call it Finn. Maybe uh, you should call it Nitrogen Narcosis Anonymous. No, no, because we enjoy it, actually. For, for I'm, not, you, I'm I, not trying to shun you it. Gotta get off, you got to get off the hooch, man. <laughs> hey, I don't know. Do you know people that don't like it? I mean, I like it. I enjoy it, actually. But maybe that says more about me. It's a blissful feeling. So blissful, you don't even need a regulator in your mouth anymore. You just take that thing out and breathe like the fish, man. <laughs> yeah. You don't see that. You don't see that grouper with a mouthpiece in his mouth, man. You don't need one either, man. You see that burbot on that shipwreck? Burbot don't need no mouthpiece, <laughs> man. <laughs> Mouthpieces are a creation by the system. The man that's been keeping me down. Why you gotta be such a downer, man? You don't need that mouthpiece. You know when you know when the fish start talking to you like that. 
It's time to ascend a little. Be free, man. That's the only gauge I need, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, hey, that was a little bit of the story of Dottie Frazier. Look her up online. Woman's Diving Hall of Fame. Look up this book. Maybe you should order yourself a copy of the Dottie Frazier book, Trailblazer. It's a pretty good one. I would highly recommend it. I think it's one of the good purchases of scuba books I've made over the years. And hopefully we get an invite to Dottie's 100th birthday for putting this episode out. (laughs) July 16th of 2022. Well, if we do, I'm going. I, if we get an invite to that birthday party, you're damn right I'm going. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a great name because she was certainly a trailblazer. Uh, did a lot for for women, but I mean even bigger. She's just a great human being. The things that she's done, she's very. She didn't let any of the the, the normal societal pressure crap uh, slow her down. She just did what she she followed her bliss, man. Follow your bliss. Yeah, did a lot for scuba just in general. Well, should we sign uh, logbooks on this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Let me see your logbook. Here. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Brando, the world's your abalone. <laughs> Here, give me that logbook. Dear James, uh, hey, man, you don't need that regulator. Just let it go. Be free. It's all good. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Are you going to go to that Pink Floyd concert down at 140 feet? Let's do it, man. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. (laughs) Safe diving, folks. Blood, 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 blood.